There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States. I will vote to impeach the president. That from Liz Cheney. She's the head of the House Republican Caucus. She's the third ranking Republican. She's the second ranking Cheney. <laughs> That's how awful this president is. He has made me grateful to Liz Cheney. Can we impeach him for that? <laughs> oh, it burns. Yes. Yes, it does. I know how you feel, Mr. Colbert. I do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Mm. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, oh, I wish I was there, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, feeling sweller than ever, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today in an article at Washington Post today about Donald Trump being uh, isolated and angry at AIDS for failing to defend him as he is impeached again. Oh, sad. The reporters Phil Rucker, Josh Dossie, and Ashley Parker note, among many other things, when Donald Trump on Wednesday became the first president ever impeached twice, he did so as a leader increasingly isolated, sullen, and vengeful. Told you it was sad, Desiree. <laughs> Uh, with less than seven days remaining in his presidency, Trump's inner circle is shrinking, offices in his White House are emptying, and the president is lashing out at some of those who remain. He is angry that his allies have not mounted a more forceful defense of his incitement of the mob that stormed the Capitol last week, advisors and associates say. Though Trump has been exceptionally furious with Vice President Pence, his relationship with lawyer Rudy Giuliani, one of the most one of his most steadfast defenders, 
is also said to be fracturing, according to people with knowledge of the dynamics between the men. Trump has instructed aides not to pay Giuliani's legal fees, two officials said. Surprising absolutely no one. Right. Who could have seen that coming? But here's the reason why I I want to share this article. In a stark illustration of Trump's isolation, the White House did not mount a vigorous defense Wednesday as House members debated his fitness for office and ultimately voted to impeach him. The president's aides did not blast out talking points to allies. His press secretary did not hold a briefing with reporters. His advisors did not do television interviews from the White House's North Lawn. His lawyers and legislative affairs staffers did not whip votes or seek to persuade lawmakers to vote against impeachment. This is both because there was no organized campaign to block impeachment and because many of his aides believe Trump's incitement of the riot was too odious to defend. White House counsel Pat Cipollone, who was central to the president's defense in his first impeachment a year ago, told other staffers to make sure word got out that he was not involved in defending Trump this time. A senior administration official said, quote, I just think this is the logical conclusion of someone who will only accept people in his inner orbit if they are willing to completely set themselves on fire on his behalf. And you've just reached a point to where everyone is burnt out. Well, no goddamn kidding, senior administration official. We know how you feel. A former senior administration official in touch with the White House said in describing the staff mindset right now, quote, people are just over it. The 20th couldn't come soon enough. Oh, well, tell us about it, former senior administration official. Quote, sometimes there's a bunker mentality or us versus them or righteous indignation that the Democrats or the media are being unfair but there is none of that right now, the official said. People are just exhausted and disappointed and angry and ready for all this to be done. I'm sure I have no idea what they are talking about. <laughs> Welcome to the broadcast. Not uh, not long after Donald Trump earned the crowning distinction of becoming the first U.S. president to get impeached twice on Wednesday, he released a video in which he went further than ever in calling for an end to post-election violence. He pretended that he opposed violence of any kind. Desi Doyen, did you see that video by any chance? I saw, yes, I saw it. It looked weird to me, like something was wrong with the lighting or something. I'm not quite sure. I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, well, it was something wrong with the president, I think. <laughs> uh, he said that, uh, that you know, his movement was, in fact, against violence of all forms, that despite his MAGA mob beating and killing at least one Capitol officer during their January 6th insurrection and riot at the U.S. Capitol, uh, and sending dozens more of those uh, Capitol Police officers to the hospital, pretending uh, to claim that he and his movement are all about law and order. They, they didn't want this. Well, we're not going to play that video on this show because, well, for several reasons. A, it's nonsense and you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't buy it at all. 
because he only released such a statement now and and a week after a week after he had called on supporters to take over the Capitol building. And so now that he realizes he's in some potential criminal trouble for instigating an attempted coup on the U.S. government one week before he was impeached for having incited an insurrection that day. Uh, and now he wants to put out the, this video. Oh, please. We don't want any violence. Our movement has never been about violence. Of course, your movement has always been about violence. As Washington Post, uh, their uh, Greg Sargent notes today, uh, here's what Trump did not say in his five minute video taped in the Oval Office. First, that Joe Biden is the legitimate winner of the 2020 election. I should note he did not even mention Joe Biden's name or that he he would be the next president. Second, says Greg, that uh, Trump's own big lie to the contrary was the singular cause of the deadly mob assault on the Capitol and is perhaps the fundamental reason we face the threat of more right wing insurgent violence to come. A new federal intelligence bulletin that Greg obtained underscores the stakes of this omission. It flatly warns that the lie that the 2020 election was fraudulent could be a key inspiration of domestic extremist violence going forward. Here's the key conclusion of this January 13 memo. So this was the day that uh, that Trump was impeached. This uh, memo from the FBI a joint is was a joint pro, uh, product of numerous agencies, including Homeland Security and the Justice Department. Uh, issued on the day of Trump's second impeachment. Quote, amplified perceptions of fraud surrounding the outcome of the general election and the change in control of the presidency and Senate when combined with longstanding domestic violence extremists' drivers, such as perceived government or law enforcement overreach and the anticipation of legislation perceived by some domestic violence extremists to oppose or threaten their beliefs, very likely will lead to an increase in DVE, DVE that's domestic violence extremist violence. In other words... The fact that he has been saying over and over and over again for the past two months that the election was stolen from them is the central driver in violence that is feared by the federal government from domestic violence extremists. And remember, he's also been talking about before the election for months that it was going to be stolen without any evidence, of course, whatsoever. But for months now, he has yeah. been laying down that propaganda. The memo defines domestic violence extremists as U.S.-based actors who seek to realize political or social goals through unlawful acts of force or violence. This broad term, notes Sargent, encompasses those who are motivated by anti-government and anti-authority sentiment, among other things. And I should also note that its definition is almost the exact same as that of terrorist, if you look it up. According to the Oxford Dictionary, quote, a person who uses unlawful violence and intimidation in the pursuit of political aims. That is the very definition of terrorist. Does that not sound exactly like what the MAGA mob did last week when they attempted to unlawfully enter the Capitol and intimidate lawmakers into not declaring Joe Biden to be the lawful winner 
of the presidential election. Not to mention threatened to kill lawmakers like Vice President Mike Pence, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and even New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who says that she believes she was very nearly assassinated in that, yes, terrorist assault by Trump supporters on the Capitol. In other words, the memo concludes, as Sargent reports, we face a very likely escalation in political violence, violence designed to achieve political ends. That would be terrorism, Greg. And it flows in no small part from the lie that the election's outcome was illegitimate. Had Trump not repeated that lie day after day and week after week and tweet after tweet continuously every day since Election Day and before Election Day, as Des points out, and even up to and beyond the assault on the Capitol, that assault very likely would never have happened. So yes, Trump is responsible for it. He encouraged it. He didn't try to stop it after it began. He was reportedly enjoying it back at the White House, watching it on television, and is only now, now that he's finally become convinced he may face you know, criminal liability for it, now he's pretending to be outraged by it. And please, no violence, not in our movement. Juliet Kayem, a uh, former Homeland Security official, tells Sergeant, quote, the animating lie has not been remedied by Trump, adding that Trump still refuses to counter, quote, the very lie that led to this violence. And he has not done so yet, she says. The memo, according to Kayem, continued, uh, uh, shows that, quote, his own intelligence agencies have concluded that the lie that the election was stolen, which Trump continues to nurture, will motivate violence in the future. The memo, uh, again, obtained by Sargent, repeatedly stresses the point uh, about the election fraud lie inspiring future violence. It notes ominously that, quote, the capability and intent of domestic violence extremists to engage in violence at lawful gatherings very likely will increase throughout 2021. And it describes a key motivator of this as follows, quote, ongoing false narratives by DVEs, again, domestic violence extremists, that the 2020 general election was illegitimate or fraudulent and the subsequent belief its results should be contested or unrecognized. That is the key motivator for these people now that are threatening violence, that are causing violence, that brought violence uh, a week ago to the U.S. Capitol. Counterintuitively, the importance of this is underscored by none other than the 10 House Republicans who joined all House Democrats on Wednesday to impeach Trump for incitement of insurrection, says Greg. Notably, many of those GOP lawmakers uh, in their statements in one way or another do articulate the key point here that the election's outcome was legitimate and that Trump incited the violence by relentlessly promoting the falsehood that it was not. So you have to turn... To these uh, to these Republicans who actually say, yes, Joe Biden was the legitimate winner. 
Uh, Sergeant says, it's astounding that we must be thankful to those Republicans for being willing to say this. But unfortunately and consequentially, it remains the thing that many other Republicans still refuse to say. I don't know if you you saw it. There was uh, I think it was in the rules markup for the impeachment the day prior to the impeachment where um, Jim Jordan was being questioned by uh, Jim Jordan, Republican of of, uh, Ohio, was being questioned by Jim McGovern, the chair of the rules committee, trying to get Jordan to say, did Joe Biden win fair and square? He kept asking him over and over again. Jim Jordan would not say it. Would not say it. Despite the fact that the U.S. intelligence finds that the fact that these people believe the election was stolen is the primary driver of violence. Good work, Jim Jordan. Sergeant notes it also bears repeating that well over 100 congressional Republicans, I think it was 147 to be exact, supported Trump by voting to overturn the electoral vote count, reversing an entire American presidential election on the completely false and phony grounds that the outcome was corrupted or fraudulent. And they did that after. After the deadly assault on the Capitol, on their own workplace, If this memo uh, turns out to be right, he notes that driving lie could be the inspiration for more violence and possibly even a sustained violent insurgency. And this points to another deep perversity here, he notes. To wit, Republicans have justified their opposition to impeaching Trump over the insurrection with appeals to unity. But as Kayyem notes, the memo suggests that the refusal to hold lies about the election's legitimacy directly accountable for inspiring that assault could itself help feed conditions for more conflict and unrest later. Somewhat echoing the uh, conversation we had here on this show on yesterday's uh, show with former diplomat and congressman Tom Perriello, Kayyem says, quote, the myth of unity without accountability is the best way to move forward that itself threatens to breed more violence. So, yes, this sudden call for unity, unity by Republicans during the impeachment debate in the House on Wednesday was darling. It came up again and again and again throughout the debate. Oh, this threatens to uh, we need unity right now. This impeachment will only anger Trump supporters. Well, in other words, will only anger the terrorists at a time that we should be seeking unity and healing because impeachment would be just so divisive to the MAGA mob. Never mind that almost none of those Republicans who were so worried about unity We're doing what the FBI memo suggests needs to be done right now to recognize that Biden won the election fair and square and that Trump lost it fair and square. Where were those assertions from Republicans? They were very rare indeed during yesterday's impeachment debate. Uh, I think I played Kevin McCarthy on the show. Didn't we play him yesterday saying that, uh, yes, Biden did win the election, but he was very rare. Uh, among the Republicans who I believe he was one of the only ones. Yeah. If not the only one. 
So we didn't hear that uh, at all from any of these uh, folks yesterday who were uh, arguing why Trump shouldn't be impeached because we need unity. We haven't heard it over the past week since the Republican terrorist assaults on the Capitol, much less the November th- since the November 3rd election. In a Twitter thread from author and columnist David Rothkopf the uh, day before the impeachment debate as Republicans were unveiling their we need unity defense to Trump's, uh, you know, so-called divisive impeachment uh, proceeding. Rothkoff wrote things the GOP did not find divisive. Launching an insurrection against the U.S. government, seeking to disenfranchise 81 million Americans, seeking to negate the votes of entire states, seeking to negate the votes of African-Americans, attacking the Capitol, killing police officers, inciting a riot that claimed five lives, participating in the largest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history, hunting down congresspeople in the halls of Congress, supporting and defending white supremacists, supporting and defending neo-Nazis, turning U.S. federal forces against peaceful demonstrators across the country, calling Mexicans rapists, discriminating against Muslims, putting children in cages, ending protections for children born innocently in the U.S., promoting economic policies that help only the rich in America and fostering the worst inequality in our history. They didn't find any of that to be divisive. Seeking to stigmatize those who sought to do the right thing to protect America from a deadly pandemic. Contributing to the spread of a disease that has killed hundreds of thousands. Disproportionately, by the way, people of color and the elderly. Seeking policies that deny COVID relief to states with democratic leaderships. That wasn't divisive. Seeking to help only those close to the GOP leadership with COVID relief. Repeatedly attacking the credibility of the FBI, the CIA, and other intelligence agencies. Supporting and collaborating with foreign enemies. Lying tens of thousands of times to the American people. Calling for Hillary Clinton to be locked up. Obstructing all judicial nominees from a Democratic president. Countless hours of expensive, pointless Benghazi investigations. That wasn't divisive. Countless hours of expensive, pointless investigations and unfound conspiracy theory mongering about Hillary Clinton's emails. Rothkoff continues calling for the impeachment of Bill Clinton for telling a single lie while Donald Trump has lied more than 20,000 times. Unending attacks from Trump on the media as, quote, the enemy of the people. Was any of that divisive? Did any of that bring us unity? Did any of that help us heal as a nation? Calling Democrats socialists when they are not. Communists when they are not. Pretending the left is behind riots that were caused by right-wing extremists. And the list goes on and on and on, says Rothkoff. Divisiveness and attacks on U.S. unity are the stock and trade of the modern GOP. Accountability, patriotism, law and order, defending our national security and preserving the ideals of the founders... Things they like to say they are for have become the polar opposites 
of that for which they truly stand. There is one reason and one reason only they oppose seeking accountability for Trump's seditious plot and the attempted coup against the government. They know they are culpable. They know their leaders sought not just to divide the country, but to tear its government down. They oppose impeachment and serious consequences for all involved because that would mean many of their leaders would be stripped of their ability to serve in the U.S. government as per the 14th Amendment and face potential serious criminal liability in the bargain. They know that seeking justice and defending the country and its institutions and its principles puts them squarely in the crosshairs, and so they are desperately, if feebly, trying to deflect attention. Don't fall for it, writes Rothkoff. Well, we won't. You shouldn't either. Unless they actually push back against the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, you can bet your bottom dollar that things are going to get much worse before they get better. Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland uh, responded to some of these uh, phony GOP claims that impeachment would get in the way of healing and be divisive, get in the way of their newfound interest in unity, because it was just so divisive and it will it, it'll it'll anger Trump supporters. Here's how Raskin replied uh, to to that argument uh, during Wednesday's impeachment debate. They may have been hunting for Pence and Pelosi to stage their coup, but every one of us in this room right now could have died. As Senator Lindsey Graham said, the mob could have blown the building up. They could have killed us all. And now the far right is calling for return engagement from January 17th to January 20th. They're asking the president to pardon the conspirators in last week's rampage as they prepare for a race war again next week. And it's a bit much to be hearing that these people would not be trying to destroy our government and kill us if we just weren't so mean to them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, don't fall for it. These guys are doing nothing, nothing right now more than uh, trying to save themselves at this point. This is what this is all about. Nor, by the way, should you buy the claims floated by those close to Mitch McConnell Uh, The ones who claim that he is open to voting to convict Trump and that he's, quote, furious about what all of this. I will believe that when I see it. If he was so furious about it, he could have agreed with Chuck Schumer to call the Senate back into session. And the trial uh, in Donald Trump's impeachment could have begun today. Today, they could be considering removing Donald Trump from office. But Mitch McConnell didn't do that. No trial will occur until Trump will be safely out of office at this point. And that's thanks to Mitch McConnell who would like us to believe that he's furious about what Trump did and he's considering voting to convict. He hasn't said that, by the way. As Eric Bullard points out in his press run newsletter today, uh, McConnell is allowing those close to him to leak that to the media, uh, who then go out and dutifully report it. See? Mitch McConnell is a decent, thoughtful guy, isn't he? He's very troubled by all of this. As to this memo from the FBI uh, and the other intelligence agencies on Wednesday warning about domestic violence extremists, 
which, by the way, is code word for white supremacist terrorists. Uh, as Spencer Ackerman notes at Daily Beast, we must not allow what he calls radical white terror to justify a major expansion of law enforcement authorities or crackdowns on civil liberties. That's true. Avoiding this entails refraining from treating the assault on the Capitol as another 9-11. I agree, which is why it is now disheartening to see, even if I understand why it may be necessary, that the National Mall will apparently be shut down entirely between now and Inauguration Day. So, yeah, Donald Trump finally found a way to make sure that there will be fewer people at the next president's inaugural than there was for his. Oh, good National Park Service is very concerned about what could happen based on all of this. There will be uh, more than 20,000 National uh, Guard troops have been called up to protect the presidential swearing in on the uh, on the 20th. And uh, the mall, which has traditionally been the site where the public has gathered to view the inauguration at the Capitol in person and on the big jumbotrons. Uh, that will now be closed down. One of the officials uh, says that that means there no one, no one will be able to get into the mall. They're closing down 13 rail stations in D.C. within the downtown security perim- uh, perimeter. They're altering bus routes in the area. Airbnb also announced that it's canceling and blocking reservations in the D.C. area in the days leading up to the inauguration. So the terrorism has worked, at least to some extent. And yes, all of this sounds not unlike post 9-11 security preparations. Going back to Sargent, he concludes today, one one thing we know now is this. If the goal is to avert more violence and restore civil calm, as Republicans themselves claim, Trump and a lot more Republicans need to declare unambiguously that Joe Biden will legitimately be the next president. They should also forthrightly debunk the big lie to the contrary while acknowledging the true danger their party's trafficking in it has posed. It didn't just singularly cause the storming of the Capitol. It could also inspire a lot more civil violence to come. And if their failure to uh, counter the big lie that has led to all of this terrorist violence and fear at the uh, and, and and fear that we heard from these uh, folks at the impeachment fear of, oh, if we bring accountability, things could get much worse. Well, they're also hoping to also rewrite the history of what happened one week ago at the Capitol. It's not just the history of the 2020 election they're now rewriting. They're also rewriting this insurrection. As if uh, Donald Trump did not call forward the MAGA mob, as if he called them to do, you know, nothing more than peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard. As AP notes in a fact check today, the House impeachment debate on Wednesday heard a distorted account of Donald Trump's remarks to his supporters a week ago when he exhorted them to, quote, fight like hell before they did exactly that and swarmed the Capitol. Here was Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Guy Reschenthaler trying to rewrite history, trying to create yet another big lie right before our very eyes during Wednesday's impeachment debate. At his rally, President Trump urged attendees to, quote, unquote, 
peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. There was no mention of violence, let alone calls to action. Really? Really, Congressman Reschenthaler of Pennsylvania? No? What are you Democrats talking about? He was he was asking them to peacefully and patriotically let their voices be heard, let their opinions be known that the election was stolen and that Donald Trump actually won by a landslide and that Joe Biden and the Democrats and Vice President Mike Pence were trying to install an illegitimate president. Just let them know that. Apparently, Congressman Reschenthaler was not paying very close attention. Either that or he's a big liar. In fact, As AP notes correctly, Trump's speech was a call to action, a call to fight and save the country. Quote, we will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. We will stop the steal, Trump said. Reschenthaler accurately quoted a line from Trump's more than an hour long speech when the president told supporters, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. But throughout the remarks, Trump spoke of the need to, quote, fight, to be angry, to stop President-elect Joe Biden from taking off, quote, taking off as, quote, we fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Quote, we want to go back and we want to get this right because we're going to have somebody in there who should not be in there and our country will be destroyed. And we're not going to stand for that, said Trump. He said, there's never been anything like this. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. Not going to let it happen. And then the crowd repeatedly chanted, fight for Trump, fight for Trump. Trump said in response, thank you. He assailed, quote, weak and pathetic Republicans who were not standing with him in his push to overturn the election results. He said, quote, they'll they'll be hell all over the country if Democrats had been robbed of an election. If this had happened to the Democrats, really? Well, maybe I missed the hell all over the country after the 2000 election when it was clear that Al Gore received more votes for president in Florida than George W. Bush did. Did I miss the hell all over the country at that point? Or when evidence strongly suggested that John Kerry was very likely the winner of Ohio in 2004 and with it the presidency that year as well. But Republicans in that state withheld or destroyed most of the evidence. Did I miss the hell all over the country that followed that? Just remember this, Trump went on. You're stronger. You're smarter. You've got more going than anybody. And they try and demean everybody having to do with us. And you're the real people. You're the people that built this nation. You're not the people that tore down this nation. We will not be intimidated into accepting the hoaxes and the lies that we've been forced to believe over the past several weeks. He told his stories again of ballot harvesting and thousands of dead people voting, none of which is true. And he said, and we've got to get rid Of the weak Congress people, the ones that aren't any good. No call to action? Really, Congressman? The Liz Cheney's of the world, he said. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to get rid of them. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, he concluded, after more than an hour. And, of course, he didn't walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. He sent those suckers and chumps and patsies down Pennsylvania Avenue to do his dirty work for him, to do his bidding in his, yes, his call to action. 
They went down bearing Trump flags and overwhelming police and occupying the Capitol in an hours-long melee that left five people dead and, yes, exposed Trump to the impeachment charges that he has now been uh, uh, brought against him by the U.S. House. And I don't like playing Trump's voice on this show at all because it's like nails on a chalkboard at this point. But before this new big lie takes hold in advance of Trump's Senate impeachment trial, whenever it comes, and whenever he and his cowardly sycophants start pretending that Trump in no way had hoped to incite violence that day, what do you mean he was peaceful and patriotic? Well, here's just some of what he said during his remarks. We've got a much longer cut, but you're welcome. I'm just going to play some of this so that it burns into your brains before they try to rewrite history. They rigged an election. They rigged it like they've never rigged an election before. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. We will not take it anymore. It's a disgrace. We're stuck with a president who lost the election by a lot. And we have to live with that for four more years. We're just not going to let that happen. We're going to have somebody in there that should not be in there. And our country will be destroyed. And we're not going to stand for that. And we're going to have to fight much harder. You'll never take back our country with weakness. You will have an illegitimate president. That's what you'll have. And we can't let that happen. We won't have a country if it happens. The radical left knows exactly what they're doing. They're ruthless. And it's time that somebody did something about it. This is a criminal enterprise. Fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. You better do it before we have no country left. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So, yeah, really, Congressman Russian Thaler? At his rally, President Trump urged attendees to, quote, unquote, peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. There was no mention of violence, let alone calls to action. Yeah, it was just peaceful and patriotic action. That's all he was asking for. No, not even a call to action. Don't make me play the full version next time, Russian Thaler, because I will do it. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with a, uh, a schadenfreude update, Desi Doyen. Oh, good. I always enjoy those. I'm sure you will enjoy. <laughs> uh, you deserve it uh, as, as Trump's world continues to crumble around him. That and, oh, an accountability update of sorts in Desi Doyen's Green News Report. Yep. A little bit later. Uh, for another Republican uh, willing to watch people die on his watch to hold on to power. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the broadcast. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing, when you're laughing, the sun comes shining through. Yo! 
Yes, it do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, after that uh, righteous rant, I guess, um, something to smile about in today's Donald Trump schadenfreude news update. (laughs) Trump's approval ratings are cratering since he incited an insurrection at the Capitol last week, actually going back longer, going back all the way to December. On Monday, a new survey from Quinnipiac found that a majority of voters say Donald Trump should resign from office after stirring up the mob of supporters that stormed the Capitol. And uh, let's see, 56 percent of voters polled hold uh, that Trump direct hold Trump directly responsible for the violent siege on Congress that resulted in at least five deaths. Just 56 percent of voters. Well, that was on Monday. Maybe more beginning to get it now as we have learned more about the violent attacks since then. 53 percent, another majority of voters say that Trump should resign. 52 say he should be removed from office. Should be more, but, you know, we'll take what we can get. Trump's job approval rating, however, has plunged 11 points since December, falling to an all-time low in the Quinnipiac survey of just 33% favorable. But that's, you know, 11-point drop in the past, what, what are we in, a week and a half since December. But the real schadenfreude comes in Trump's quickly crumbling business empire today. Mayor Bill de Blasio said on Wednesday that New York City will end its contracts entirely with the Trump organization after Donald Trump fueled a violent mob attack on the U.S. Capitol. The city of New York is severing all contracts with the Trump organization. Our legal team has done an assessment and the contracts make very clear Uh, If a company, the leadership of that company is engaged in criminal activity, uh, we have the right to sever the contract. Uh, Inciting an insurrection, let's be clear, I'm going to say these words again, inciting an insurrection against the United States government clearly constitutes criminal activity. So the city of New York will no longer have anything to do with the Trump organization. Uh, They have profited from these contracts. They will profit no longer. Womp womp. The contracts are for uh, two ice skating rinks at Central Park, the Central Park Carousel, and the Trump Golf Links at Ferry Point. That's a city-owned golf course in the Bronx. The mayor said that he would uh, terminate the relationship due to uh, the president's role as inciter-in-chief in in that mob uh, riot last week that left five people dead. So, sure, it's fun. It's schadenfreude. But uh, how much could Trump actually be losing uh, by losing a couple of skating rinks and a carousel and a public golf course? Well, actually, it turns out it's quite a bit of money. De Blasio estimated that the Trump organization profits profits about 17 million dollars annually from the contracts from just those four sites alone. The Democratic mayor anticipated that the company will put up a fight in court against the decision, but he asserted that. Uh, an end to the contract stood, quote, on strong legal grounds. New York City is just one of many entities now who are signaling their disgust with Trump by cutting ties. The growing list of groups and individuals shuffling away from Trump in the aftermath of last week's attacks also includes, as we noted, I believe earlier this week, the 2022 PGA Championship. 
president of the PGA announced earlier this week that it would be yanking the tournament from the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, which has really got a, sm- a smart uh, news uh, of which has reportedly upset Donald Trump more than anything else that's happened this week. More than the, you know, the fact that people died uh, at, at this uh, riot that he incited. More than the fact that he has had his second impeachment. He's most upset that the PGA now wants nothing to do with the man who was stuck with all of these PGA golf courses and they don't want to be there no more. They don't want to give him no more money. And as our friend Heather Digby Parton notes this week at Salon, Trump's company was already reeling from a resort and hotel business in deep distress from the COVID pandemic. I'll note the COVID pandemic that Donald Trump did nothing about. And the company is now suffering from a global recoil from his brand name, Trump's Hotel in D.C., which has hosted so many people from all over the world, currying favors and hoping to mingle with the elite MAGA crowd will now have a new landlord. That would be the Joe Biden administration, which is highly unlikely to stonewall the congressional investigations into its corrupt contracts. Remember that D.C. hotel is actually licensed by the Trump organization. It's the old uh, post office. It's essentially uh, licensed to him by the federal government and all of the investigations into that contract have been stymied essentially by yes the trump administration well the biden administration is probably not going to do that anymore no and that's going to be a very very interesting little investigation it's also losing a whole bunch of money apparently and they've been trying to sell it because for some reason they suddenly need money Digby goes on to note, uh, no doubt his resorts all over the world will be hemorrhaging members, upscale professional types who can no longer afford to be associated with him and expect their employers to be sanguine about that association. The Washington Post, she says, additionally reports that Cushman and Wakefield, the real estate brokers who handle the leasing for many of the Trump Organization properties, say they will no longer do business with him either. So that's not to mention all of the banks like Deutsche Bank, which no longer uh, wants to have anything to do with Donald Trump, as he reportedly will be personally on the hook over the next year or so, personally on the hook for about $400 million in loan repayments. A point which Heather also notes, uh, and perhaps we'll be able to speak with her on an upcoming show about this, also makes him very, very vulnerable in a whole bunch of ways that could be quite dangerous, not only for him, but for us, for the nation, even after he leaves office. Hopefully we'll talk to uh, Heather about that soon. But um, as this uh, schadenfreude update was in hopes of making you feel a little bit better today, We will leave it there for now. We won't go into what you should be worried about with all of this. Uh, Donald Trump's business empire is crumbling along with his reputation, along with such as it was, along with his presidency. Things do not look good for Donald Trump. So hopefully that puts a smile on your face. Let's take a quick break here. We will come back with Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report with a bit of accountability news, though not for Donald Trump. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are clever enough to be listening to the Bradcast. 
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, hey, all you wingnuts out there who have been fighting against Joe Biden becoming the president. Guess what? Uh, This afternoon, Joe Biden is announcing $1,400 checks and a national vaccination program as part of a $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan that may just go through now that we'll have a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress, uh, a House and Democratic Senate, $1,400 bringing uh, the free money you're about to get from the government to uh, $2,000 that Republicans had blocked. So, you know, just keep that sort of thing in mind. You're welcome. And now let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Rick Snyder and several other officials will have to answer for the scandal in court. Ex-governor of Michigan criminally charged in Flint water crisis. Trump EPA's parting gift to polluters. Severe restrictions on all future pollution regulations. U.S. emissions plummet. Good. Due to coronavirus. Oh. Plus, world's biggest battery farm now online in California. All of those stories online and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Where's your snarky comment? Well, I banned Donald Trump from the Green News Report, so I got nothing. Sad. I know. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it has been years and years and years, it seems, but maybe a little bit of accountability finally in Flint, Michigan? Yes, former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder has been charged with two counts of willful neglect of duty for his role in the Flint water crisis. In 2014, an unelected manager appointed by Snyder ordered the city's water supply switched to the polluted Flint River to save money. The untreated water leached lead from pipes, poisoning the city's drinking water, And then state officials failed to act long after scientific evidence showed that residents in the predominantly black city were suffering from toxic lead poisoning, which causes health ailments and learning disabilities in children. 18 months later before they acted on it. The switch also caused an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease that killed 12 people. The new charges are a welcome step in accountability and recovery for Flint, according to Democratic Representative Dan Kildee in an interview with WXYZ in Detroit. Justice for the people of Flint comes in lots of different forms. Uh, Making things right for the people of Flint is an important part of that, but A very important part is holding the people who did this to Flint responsible. Snyder's lawyer called the charges meritless. If convicted, the Republican Snyder faces up to a year in jail and a $1,000 fine. Yeah, a $1,000 fine. These are two misdemeanor charges. He'll never go to jail for a year. He probably won't even go to jail for a day. I think those lawyers ought to be thanking prosecutors at this point rather than complaining about it. 
In Washington, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency launched a surprise attack on the incoming Biden administration's ability to tackle man-made climate change. Less than a week before President-elect Joe Biden takes office on Wednesday, as Trump was being impeached for the second time for inciting the attack on the U.S. Capitol, his EPA finalized a new climate rule that effectively prohibits all future limits on greenhouse gas emissions from any stationary industrial source other than power plants. The new rule sets a threshold designating any industry responsible for less than 3% of national emissions as exempt from all future emissions regulations permanently. (laughs) It may sound small, but that threshold actually exempts prolific polluters like oil and gas production and refineries. The Biden administration and Congress can take actions to repeal the new rule, but it is just one of the many tangles and traps set by the Trump administration that will take time and focus to unravel. But with Democrats in the majority in both the House and Senate, they can simply overturn it with the Congressional Review Act, right? Right. But they have a lot of crises on their plate to deal with. Yeah, they're going to be busy. Trump EPA political appointees also interfered with scientific assessments of a specific type of forever chemicals in drinking water. PFAS chemicals used in firefighting foam, carpeting, and food packaging are linked to numerous ailments. Politico reports that appointees at EPA overruled the agency's career scientists to weaken a major health assessment for the top toxic chemicals, which contaminate the drinking water of nearly a million Americans. Can that be overturned as well with the Congressional Review Act? No, that's a health assessment, which means the Biden EPA would have to go back and do the entire process of reassessing all over again. Oh, you're right. They're going to have a lot of work ahead of them. Good news, but for the worst possible reason, U.S. annual greenhouse gas emissions in 2020 fell by the greatest amount since World War II, 10%, according to a new estimate by the Rhodium Group. Global annual emissions also dropped more than 7% in 2020, but it's no cause for celebration because it's due to the coronavirus pandemic slamming the brakes on the global economy. Mm. The drop was temporary and emissions will will climb again as the economy recovers, but it does conclusively demonstrate that structural changes to reduce fossil fuel use will succeed in delivering big emissions reductions. Finally, one of the big structural changes to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is now underway in the U.S. Just five years ago, a utility-sized battery project of 20 megawatts was considered big. Now a 300-megawatt project, the largest in the world, has gone online in California. And an even bigger battery storage project is slated to come online in Florida by the end of 2021. Just one of many. So there's that. There's that. I'll take it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. Uh, we got a bit of an update. Uh, Rick Snyder has now pleaded not guilty in the uh, Michigan uh, Flint water crisis charges that he faced as 
pathetic as they are. Yes, uh, though again, he was charged with two misdemeanor counts of willful neglect of duty with a ridiculously low fine. Uh, but there were other top state officials and local officials who were also charged at the same time. Chief Medical Executive Eden Wells of the state of Michigan on nine felony counts of involuntary manslaughter mm. for the deaths of all those people who died from Legionnaire's disease, which mm-hmm. was also tied to the change in the water system. Um, also, he prevented and or attempted to prevent alerting the community to a deadly disease. Mm-hmm. Also, transformation manager Rich Baird on felony perjury for making false statements under oath and felony obstruction of justice and felony extortion tried to threaten a leader of the Flint Area Community Health and Environmental Partnership to try to prevent him from telling people about the Legionnaire's outbreak. Mm-hmm. Chief of Staff to Governor Snyder, felony perjury. State-appointed emergency manager Darnell Early, three felony counts of misconduct in office because Mm -hmm. he disseminated misleading information about Flint's drinking water while refusing to switch Flint's drinking water back to the more safer source from Detroit. State-appointed emergency manager Gerald Ambrose on four counts of misconduct in office because he rejected opportunities to switch Flint's drinking water back to Detroit when he knew that there were quality issues and health risks associated with drinking the water and he committed the city to a seven million dollar emergency loan while preventing them from going to the better water and, and there's uh, more than that too so uh, well yeah but some real accountability at least if not for Snyder for all of these other folks and uh, what they did this again you can thank Democrats for this because when Democrats took over uh, the governor's office the attorney general's office in Michigan recently, they threw out all of the previous charges because they were frankly pathetic under Rick Snyder's uh, government and they started from scratch and now here's what we got. Maybe some real accountability for at least some of these people. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And as we're uh, figuring out how we will be moving forward in the new year, we do thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. And hey, now's a great time to consider a uh, regular automated monthly contribution if you can afford it. You got $2,000 coming to you free any minute now from the federal government, so there's that. All right, we got to get out. Uh, Thank you very much. You can drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at thebradblog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.